You seated? Well, we're continuing this mini-series on the life of Peter, and if you want to follow along in the scripture we have today, it's going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, and also 54 through 62. So that's Luke 22, 31 through 34, 54 to 62. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Over to verse 54 through 62. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Well, football season started last... Well, do we have any football fans here? Uh, I don't think so. But, uh, no, I, I, I know there's plenty of football fans here, and I know what team you root for, and that's okay. But uh, last week, I believe, the preseason started for football, and, and I mean, really, the whole year football starts. It starts at the draft, it ends at the Super Bowl, and then the next day it starts at coaches getting hired and uh, teams finding new players. But uh, the season really starts at preseason because that's when you really start to look ahead to the season that's coming, and that's really when you're, you get your hopes high, Right? Uh, it's really fun in the preseason because what I find I do is I watch my favorite team, and if they lose, I'll just tell myself, it's just the preseason. You know, this doesn't matter. There's 100 players trying to fight for a spot. You know, it, it doesn't matter. But then when my favorite team wins, look out playoffs. Here we come. Did you see how good that tackle was? Never mind it was a tackle uh, by a first-strain defensive end, tackling a third-strain running back that doesn't know what he's doing. Forget that. We're going to the Super Bowl this year. And what inevitably happens when the season starts? You have your hopes high. You know you're going to win. You feel it. We're going to win every game this season. What happens eventually? There's a loss. At some point, your favorite team is going to lose. And you don't want to believe it, but it's going to happen. And I'm not speaking that over any of your favorite teams. That's just the truth. 
you rarely have a season without any mistakes, right? There was one team that I can think of that didn't lose. We don't need to mention that team. And then they lost in the Super Bowl, right? And it usually comes down to these losses. The ones that are the most heartbreaking are those losses that occur by one simple mistake, right? It hurts here, doesn't it? Unless it's a team you don't like. For example... I hope we don't have any Dallas Cowboys fans here, but if you go back to, I think it was January in the playoffs, the Dallas Cowboys were trailing, I think it was by three points, all they needed was a touchdown, and they would win and they would advance in the playoffs, and if you remember this game, I think they were playing against the San Francisco 49ers, it got down to, I think, two seconds left on the clock, and all they had to do was was, uh, hike the ball and spike it, or throw the ball. That's all they had to do. But the quarterback made a mistake. He got the ball from the ref, and he placed it on the scrimmage line. Does anybody remember this? He placed it on the scrimmage line. You're not supposed to do that. The ref places it on the scrimmage line, and the ref comes over, and it was so silly, but it's the rules. He picks up the ball, sets the ball down, gets out of the way, and then what does he do? blows the whistle, game over. All of it came down to one simple mistake, not letting the ref put the ball down. Instead, Dak Prescott tried to do it by himself. This will happen eventually to your favorite team. In your Christian life, you're looking out over your growth in God and the hope And the prayer that we have in our Christian life is that as we grow in God, as we get to know him more, we would have nothing but moments of of growth. We would have nothing but moments where we succeed at everything God has called us to do. But the reality is, somewhere along the line, we're going to stumble. Somewhere along the line, we're going to commit, maybe we might use the word, mistake. Or we might use a harsher word, fail. There may be moments in our Christian life that just like Peter, we run into an opportunity that God is calling us to, to share the gospel, to obey him, to receive his calling. And like Peter, we step away for a moment and say, I don't want that. Now, of course, This isn't anything we speak over our Christian life. We're not called to disobey God. We're not called to sin against God. We're called to grow in him. But the reality is, is it happens from time to time to Christians. And the question we have before us today is, what do we do when that happens? What do we do when we fail the Lord, so to speak? What do we do when we're disobedient? How do we resolve that relationship? With Jesus Christ. Well, this happens to Peter here in chapter 22. And if you look closely at the beginning of the chapter, uh, they're gathering together for the Last Supper, the last meal that they're going to have together. It's the Passover Supper, it's the week of Passover. This is a very important meal. in in the Jewish world, and Jesus has this supper with everyone, and then he begins to speak to them, and he begins to tell them what's going to happen, and he begins to teach them one last time. And there's a moment here where he looks at Peter, and he says something really, uh, you, you might say sobering, to Peter. He levels with him, and he says, Simon, Simon, because that's his other name, Simon. Simon, Simon, 
Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. This is a warning that Jesus is giving Peter because if you look earlier in chapter 22, there's a statement made about somebody else in in the followers of Jesus, and that's Judas Iscariot. And what we see earlier in chapter 2 with Judas Iscariot is that Satan has already entered his heart. He's the one that betrays Jesus. He's the one that gets Jesus arrested. He works with the religious leaders to uh, have Jesus die on the cross. And so earlier in chapter 22, we have somebody like Judas where it says, Satan has already entered Judas's heart. And this is before the Passover meal. Well, now we have sort of this, this uh, follow-up of what Satan is doing to try to disrupt Jesus' followers. And Jesus knows what's going on, and he says... Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So what's really happening here is Satan is looking at all of the apostles or all of the disciples, and he's already got Judas, and the feeling you get in this statement is Peter's next. Peter's on the horizon. He's the next one that Satan wants to get. And it's interesting that this phrase, sift you like wheat, is used because if you look earlier back in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, as John the Baptist is preaching to the people, he speaks about sifting wheat. He talks about how uh, the winnowing fork is upon you and, and the Lord will separate the chaff from the wheat. And what does he say about the chaff and the wheat? The wheat is the good stuff. And what they would do to sift it is they would take a big fork, put it in the pile, throw it up in the air and let the chaff blow away, and then they would let the good wheat fall down to the ground. And so what Jesus is saying is, is Satan would like to come and he would like to sift out Peter. He'd like to take uh, all of who Peter is as if though he's the chaff in the group, as if though he's not the good wheat that Jesus can use, but he's just the worthless chaff that they burn up anyway. So this image is that Satan wants to come and draw Peter away from Jesus. And notice what Jesus says in the following verse, in verse, uh, I believe it's uh, 32 here. Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you. So Jesus isn't just making a statement to Peter that says, well, Satan wants to take you next. He's already got Judas. He's after you. But Jesus adds to this and says, I have prayed for you that you would have strength. And this is a reality that's not just true for Peter at this moment, but it's true for us in our Christian life. The Lord Jesus prays for us even today. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, He's sitting with God the Father, and he's praying for us. Not only do we pray with Jesus, Jesus is praying with us and for us, which means that whatever issues we run into, Jesus is already mediating with the Father how to get us through that, how to get us through the problems we have in our life. And so Jesus is stating to Peter that he's already doing the same for him. He's praying to God the Father that Peter would have the strength to continue to follow Jesus regardless of what the enemy's plans are. And then we have in the following verse, verse 33, uh, Peter makes a statement, and, and I believe this is a statement, well, okay, so we've talked about this. This is now our third Sunday with Peter, and if you look throughout the Gospels, Peter has a way of putting his foot in his mouth, I think is the best way to describe it, where he will say some things that, 
that he says with boldness, and he's saying it on behalf of the disciples. So he's saying what everybody is thinking, which unfortunately means that if he says the wrong thing, nobody else gets chastised, he gets chastised. So remember, he's the one that's on the boat, and when Jesus is walking on the water, Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, call me to walk out on the water too. That's boldness, right? What happens when Peter walks out on the water? He does okay, and then all of a sudden he begins to doubt, fear creeps in, and he sinks. And then what does Jesus say to him? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Uh, there's other moments where Jesus says that he is the Christ and he must suffer and die on the cross. And Peter says to Jesus, uh, never, Lord, you shall never die. And, and what does Jesus say to Peter in that moment? This is Matthew chapter 16. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. And so Peter has a tendency to make these bold statements to Jesus, for Jesus, on Jesus' behalf. And unfortunately, every time he makes these statements, Jesus has to correct them. Well, this is one of the statements that he makes that we might say is bold, where he says, never, Lord, I will follow you to prison. I'll even follow you to death. Satan does not have me. He will not sift me like wheat. Not only is this a bold statement, but I think we're really looking into Peter's heart and where he wants to be. I believe in this passage what we're seeing is Peter really does want to follow Jesus. He really does want to follow Jesus, even if it means prison, even if it means death. Unfortunately, he's not ready to follow Jesus to prison, or to death. And Jesus prophesies this over him in the following verse. So over in verse uh, 34, uh, Jesus responds to Peter and, and says, uh, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, this is a prophecy that Jesus is giving to Peter, and it's, it's a statement. This isn't the kind of prophecy where where he's telling Peter that he has to deny Jesus. I, I want to make sure we understand that. It's not that Jesus is calling on Peter to deny him. All right? This is just a statement of reality. It's a statement of what's going to happen. Jesus already knows that Peter is going to break his heart. And he's letting Peter know, I know that you're not going to be able to follow me to prison or to death. Tonight I see it that when I get there, you will deny me to three different people, and this will all happen before the rooster crows. Not only is this a statement of prophecy, but it's also not a deterministic statement. And what I mean by that is we don't believe that everything has been predetermined. That is, we, we don't believe that, that God set a course and we have no choices in life. No, we have a choice, and this is Peter's choice. Even though Jesus knows that Peter is going to do it, that doesn't mean that Peter didn't decide to do it. He's simply making a statement to Peter, I know what's going to happen. And let me add to this as well. When he makes this statement to Peter, if you notice, it's simply a statement. There's no chastising. There's no rebuking of Peter in his lack of faith. Instead, he's just letting them know, I know what's going to happen. I know you're not able to do this, which speaks volumes to the relationship that Jesus has with us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus already knew 
that we were going to fail him, and yet he still wanted a relationship with us. Look back to Genesis. I mean, you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God, God knows what's going on. He knows that when he creates mankind and gives them free will, they're going to choose sin over him, and yet he continues to create and he continues to hold on to humanity. This is going on here in this passage. Peter, Jesus knows what Peter is about to do, and yet he still wants a relationship with him. He still wants him to be there as his disciple. Speaks volumes to the relationship that we have with God. Regardless of what, what God knows we're going to do, he still loves us. Regardless of what kind of failures we may have in life or what kind of mistakes or sins we may commit, God still wants a close relationship with us and still wants to be our friend. So he says this to Peter, and what we have here in, in these gap of verses is Jesus is arrested, uh, he's brought before the, the high priest, and what's interesting is they bring him to the high priest household, which means the, the ones that arrested him, they're in a hurry. They, they just want Jesus done with. Usually you would arrest somebody, put them in jail, and then when the court opens the next day, then you bring them in to try them. And they said, no, we're doing this tonight. We're getting this taken care of. And so they bring them to the home of the high priest, and as they enter into the house, it says Peter stayed at a distance. Now two things are possibly going on here. One possibility is that Peter knows that he's not allowed in the high priest's house. Only certain people are allowed to go in there because the high priest has to be clean. He has certain rules that he has to follow, and so if certain people come in, that could mess up how he does the priestly duties. So it may be that Peter is excusing himself because he knows the line is here, Jesus is arrested, and, and I'm not allowed to go inside. But I don't think that's the actual case. Like, that may be an excuse that Peter has, but I don't think that's actually what's going on because we find in, in John, the book of John, when Jesus is arrested, we find out that the disciples knew who the security was and were able to get in to see the court case going on. And so Peter's following at a distance is actually a statement of where his heart begins to head. So you go back in the earlier verse, and he's bold. He's ready to follow Jesus. I'll go to prison and to death with you. But all of a sudden, the reality of prison and death is looking Peter straight in the face, and he begins to back away. He begins to back away from what's happening to Jesus. And if you see this scene in light of Jesus' calling of Peter, it's pretty astounding because what happens when a rabbi calls a disciple? When a teacher calls a student to follow him, that word disciple or student, one of the translations is to walk step in step with the teacher. So the teacher would be walking and he would be lecturing and he would be speaking to his disciples and his disciples would be behind him, following him, not just listening but watching and then mimicking or doing what the teacher is doing. And so now we have a complete difference in what Peter has been doing. For three years he's been following Jesus step by step wants to get closer, wants to listen, wants to learn. And now when he realizes this is what it means to follow Jesus step to step, I could be arrested. I could be put to death alongside him. That step by step begins to back away. And that's what Peter does. He begins to back away 
and think to himself, I better stay away from what's happening to Jesus. And of course, what happens, as, as we've read here, is he encounters three different people. And, and uh, have you ever been to a place where you don't want to be recognized? <laughs> I, uh, I used to do social work uh, in a community uh, years, like 10 years ago. And, and I remember there's a certain way that you dress in social work that kind of sets you apart. It's, it's you know, you got to wear dress pants. At least we did at our agency. We had to wear dress pants. We had to wear a dress shirt. We didn't have to have a tie, but we couldn't roll our sleeves up. You know, so it, when I walked in the community, you just knew. It, I didn't look like a lawyer. Let's put it that way. It was written all over my face. That kid is a social worker. And I remember when it was 5 o'clock, I had to be done for the day. And I remember walking out. I shouldn't tell you this. But uh, I remember walking out and, and somebody stopped me. And, and I worked for one agency called True North. But I was in the building uh, for the county, DHS. And somebody stopped me and said, do you work for DHS? And I was proud to say, no, I don't. Now, they were really asking, are you a social worker? Can you help me out? That was a moment I don't want to be recognized. I just want to get to my car. I just want to get home to my family. That's what Peter is in this moment. He's somebody that just wants to blend into the crowd. He just wants to see what's going on and not be recognized. And yet what begins to happen is he's easily recognized. You have the servant girl of the high priest that recognizes him. And we think that she recognized him because as a servant of the high priest, she would have worked in the temple, and Jesus was known to preach in the temple. And so at some point, she would have seen Peter with Jesus, and so she recognizes him and says, this is somebody that would have followed Jesus. And what does Peter do? He denies it. That's strike number one. He says, no, I, I, I don't know who the man is. I don't follow him. Well, then a little while later, somebody else notices that he's Galilean. The Galileans had a different accent than people from Jerusalem, and so they begin to recognize it. Sort of like when my wife and I lived in Kentucky. You know, within two seconds of hearing my voice, anybody that lived their life in Kentucky would say, you ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> and that's what's going on with Peter. They're listening to him talk, and they're going, you're not from around here, are you? That sounds like a Galilean accent. Jesus is from Galilee. You must be a Galilean. And the only reason you would be here in Jerusalem in the middle of the night to see this going on is you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? Well, what's happening? Peter, again, is beginning to see the consequences of following Jesus, that if he follows him, he will go to prison, he will be put to death. And so again, he denies it. And then there's the third time that when he denies it, we hear the rooster crow. And when Peter hears the rooster crow, he remembers the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And it's a, it's a bitter moment in Peter's life because here he was. He was ecstatic. He was going to fight for Jesus. He was going to die for Jesus. He was going to live the rest of his life in prison for Jesus. He had it all. He was ready to go after it. And once he was faced with that reality, he denied Jesus. He failed. He made a mistake. You might even say he sinned against God. 
what do we do when we're in moments similar? Maybe not in moments where we deny Jesus outright, but maybe we're found to be in moments where God is calling us to do something and we ignore it. John Wesley, a famous preacher from the 1700s, one of the points he made is that the greatest sins we commit as Christians are not uh, uh, sins that we do something, it's sins where we don't do anything that God has called us to do. So when God calls us to give to somebody that's in need and we make an excuse for ourselves and we say, no, no, I don't need to give because i got to take care of myself and my family. Or, or maybe you're in a situation where God is calling you to be more active in ministry. Or maybe God is calling you to the ministry. Maybe God is calling you to be a preacher and a teacher and you keep pushing that off saying... Jesus, I'll go to prison and die for you, but I ain't getting up there and preaching in front of people. Maybe that's going on in your life, or maybe it has, and you're still unsettled about it. What do we do with this? Well, we can go back to the words that Jesus says to Peter. Not only does he say to Peter, um, I have prayed for you, but he makes this statement which I find to be a major part of the prophetic statement. Not only will you deny me, that's one part, but then he says, when you turn back again, strengthen your brothers. That is an amazing statement to hear Jesus say to Peter. I mean, he says to Peter, I know you're going to deny me. I, I know you're going to fall away. But I also know that you're going to turn back and continue to follow me. When you do that, I've got a mission for you. And we'll take a look at that next week with Peter's commission in John chapter 21. But here in this moment, what we have is we have a foreshadow as to what God is going to call Peter to do, and we're going to see Peter has the strength to do it. So what does that mean for our own life? Well, it simply means that whatever sins you've committed in the past, those do not disqualify you from continuing to follow Jesus. I want to make that very clear. Whatever sins you've committed, that does not disqualify you from being a Christian. What does it require to be a Christian? Confess your sins to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and follow him. Grow in a life with him. What do we do when we are growing in a life with him and we sin or we disobey or we don't pick up the calling that he has on our life? Well, Peter shows us exactly what we're supposed to do when we realize the sin we've committed. The scripture says in verse uh, 62 here in this passage that he wept bitterly. You see, Peter realized what he had done. And not only did he realize what he had done, he actually felt bad about it. That's where this word contrite comes in, which, by the way, it took me forever to find a C word because I've been trying to map my sermons by the letter C. If you haven't noticed, I'm a little proud of it. But uh, Peter's contrition here, the word contrite means uh, feeling bad, feel, feeling exhausted because of what you have done, to have the guilt inside of your heart and want to get rid of it. That's what Peter is showing. And if you go back into the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 51, King David has a whole scripture on this. He writes a psalm that says, God isn't interested in sacrifices. God is not interested in our wealth. What God is interested in is a clean and contrite heart. 
What God's looking for in our growth in him is if we have committed sin, if we have disobeyed him, we would simply feel guilty about it and immediately hand that guilt off to him. It's quite incredible as we look ahead, not just to next week with this commission, but if you look ahead to the life that Peter lives after Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus commissions him, goes into heaven to be with the Father. You look at the life of Peter in the book of Acts. Oh my goodness, you talk about a massive shift in character. Here's a guy that was afraid to follow Jesus step by step to prison and to death. And this is a man that gets arrested on multiple occasions, is willing to go to prison, is willing to face death. And not only that, writes letters to churches and says, like in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Todd read that during our worship time, 1 Peter chapter 3, he even says to his congregation, it is an honor and a privilege to suffer just like Jesus has suffered. It is an honor and a privilege to die because that means you're dying like Jesus. He says later on in that passage, he warns the congregation, Satan is like a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. It's a callback, I think, to what Peter was going through. Satan asked to sift him like wheat. Uh, Peter is now writing to his congregation saying, Satan is prowling, looking for you to devour. So where do we go with this? Well, it's very simple. Whatever has gone on in our past, Whatever mistakes or failures we may encounter as we continue to grow in God, it's very simple. We continue to grow in God. We hand that off to Jesus. We give it to him with a contrite heart, knowing that it was a mistake, knowing it was a failure, knowing it was a sin. And do you know what he'll do with it? He'll forgive you because he wants that relationship with you. And he knows you'll do it but he still wants that relationship with you. So as we leave this place, as we go out into the world, we are going out in full knowledge that we may have a failure. We may make mistakes. We may sin against God. But thankfully, we're sinning against a loving God who wants to keep a relationship with us and will pray for us, will strengthen us, will let us stay in that relationship with them, and most of all, will forgive us. Let's pray. God, as we look over our life and and we think of the growth that we have in you, we just praise you and we thank you for that growth. We thank you that we're able to grow in a relationship with you on a daily basis and that even if we have failures or mistakes, you wash those away. God, we thank you that you would do that in our life. And so, Lord, as we leave, we pray that you would watch over us. We pray that you would strengthen us to do your work and your will in this world. Amen.